you have people that still sit on the parlor side and you have people that's, that are already entrenched on the development side. But I think that we can bring more people into the, into the space if we're able to accurately translate, all right, well, forget about it as a parlor trade. Forget about it as a thing that's going to come and take your job. Forget about it, you know, replacing you, the rise of the robots, mm -hmm. right? You know what he says? And just look at this as a tool. Welcome to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University and WAER. I'm Kevin Kloss, and on this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with R.C. Concepcion, photographer and professor at Syracuse University. R.C. and I discuss AI-generated tools such as ChatGPT and Dolly, how those tools are being utilized, and the future of AI-generated content. R.C., thanks so much for coming by today. I really appreciate your time. No, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. You know, last episode of New House Impact, we talked with Jason Davis and Phoebe Smith, who are working with detection of manipulated media and how AI is working in that field. And now we've got you here today to talk about AI again, but more in the creation of things through AI development. And specifically, the thing I feel like everyone's kind of been talking about for a while now, which is ChatGPT, which as I understand it, and please correct me if you have a, a better definition, it's basically an artificial chatbot. Is that, is, that, is that a fair way to sum yeah, it up very plainly? It, so yeah, ChatGPT is... Think of it as almost kind of like a brain, right? That brain is learning a whole bunch of different things, and it's turning around and it's going, all right, well, let me take a look at all of this data, right? So it's like really smart baby that can go out and read millions and millions and millions of books and then just kind of sits back and goes, okay, I got it. Right? What do you got? Everything. Like, I got it. And its entire thing is just basically designed to be able to give you answers in a natural format. But I think that one of the biggest things that people tend not to wrap their head around is that whole concept of it, right? Like when the smart baby goes out and reads millions upon millions upon millions of things and it says, I got it. It's like, well, what is it? It's like, no, no, no it's everything, right? You can ask for a recipe on how to be able to make a chicken noodle soup. You can ask for it to give you a one-act play. And it knows how to do all of that stuff. But it knows how to do it based on the frame of reference of what it's got, you know, what it learned, the books that it read, for the lack of a better word, or the data set that was given to it. Um, so that is really groundbreaking in terms of having the ability to sit with something that knows all of these things and then can process that back to you in a way that you can understand it. And I think... That's the part that's probably really transformative of how we do stuff, right? If we go on Google and we say, what is the recipe for chicken noodle soup? You're just going to get lists upon lists upon lists of things that you have to then parse. Or you'll get an ad for this or you'll, you know, get a picture of this. This kind of levels all of that, tunes all of that out and then says, all right, well, this is an example. For good or for bad, right? Because I think that it may not be the only example, and there could be other things, but it does a really good job of condensing information naturally. For a lot of people, this is going to seem out of left field, that mm -hmm. they just popped up one night. 
Is this something, though, that did not just pop up? This is something that's been in the works for a while, something like this? Yeah, it's been, this has been years of research. I mean, there's, uh, there are movements that have worked with this. Microsoft has worked with this on some time. Um, the concept of this kind of AI has been kind of bubbling in that space for quite a bit of time. I mean, you, you have uh, voice prompts and you have AI in telemarketing. So the concept of doing all of this kind of stuff is, has been around for a bit. It's the synthesis of all of this stuff into this natural language that really kind of took everybody by storm. And one of the things that I think it's really interesting is that the process of that chat GPT takes on one form, right? So it is a, I keep, I always use this entire analogy of a smart baby because it's, the word is smart, right? So the baby or the AI that you have with that has been taught to be able to do something in language, right? But you can teach it to do whatever it is that you want, right? You could teach it to generate music. You could teach it to generate video. You can teach it to draw a picture, right? So what happened with ChatGPT is this implementation of this brain in one example of how you can use it to chat. And I think that that's where everybody got you know, blown away by it because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that this thing could do this. But now you're in a spot where it's like, if you think that's something, now they've taken the technology and go, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about music? And what about video? And what about this? And it kind of just created this floodgate that was burst open. So all of this tech that people have been working on for all of this time now comes out into the mainstream and it's coming out at a pace that's pretty crazy. Now, the analogy you use is obviously a, a fairly basic level chicken noodle soup analogy, right? Which is something you could Google, like you said, but it's kind of making it easy to then get that information without having to decide, am I, oh, am I going to this website? Am I going here? It's delivering that to you. Are there larger functions that you think it's going to be known for? Because right now the chicken noodle soup thing, as cool as I think that is, it's a fairly low-level resource at that point, right? Mm -hmm. I assume it's capable of much more than just simply recipes or things of that nature. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, and that's the part that when you first start getting into it, you know, you sign up for the website and you go and you take a look Mm -hmm. at this and you're like, all right, well, great. Give me the chicken noodle soup thing. And that almost kind of becomes a little bit of a parlor trick. Right. Right. And it's just like, oh, wow, look at that, chicken noodle soup. But as you start pushing it, you start seeing what the concepts, what that technology can do. So here's a perfect example. So I teach at Newhouse, in addition to doing all this kind of stuff, I teach multimedia storytelling. So I'll teach visuals and how to be able to create stories. And I'm in the process of trying to show people how to be able to create a Hollywood screenplay. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to have to think about this entire thing because I'm really just thinking about the format. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, all right, let me go to ChatGPT and I'm going to say, hey, could you create a two-act play or a three-act play on Joe and Edna uh, talking about a first date and it's a romantic comedy and they pull their – Joe pulls his mask off and he's Idris Elba. Right, completely weird. Mm-hmm. And then I said, "Can you can can you do that?" And sure enough, you're watching this, and it creates this entire Hollywood format script 
with all of these different things. Is it great? Probably not. But it did a lot of that major heavy lifting for me. And it created all the formats, created all the structures. It, it set up. I asked it to be able to do it specific to a traditional story model. Mm-hmm. And it knew what the story model was. It knew how to implement it. It knew how to synthesize all of that stuff into that. And now you're like, well, you're past chicken noodle soup now. Like you're actually helping sort this out. And I'm like, all right, well, that's great. Could you give me a list of shots based on the thing that you just did last? Because it's a brain, so it understands things that have happened before. said, could you take that and make that into a list of things that I need to consider? I was like, sure, here you go. And I made all that list. And there's this big list of all of the stuff referencing the thing that I did before. And I'm like, now it's doing even more work. And I sat there and I said, well, you know what? That's not really good. Um, could could you set that up in rows and tables? Because I don't want to really do that in Excel. And it said, sure. And it created, took the exact same thing and changed it and then made it into rows and tables. And I was like, all right, well, now I have so much free time. <laughs> I, can you Can you give it to me in Excel file? And it said, well, I can't do that. But then turned around and said, but I can teach you how to do that. And it said, all right, grab this text, go to these commands, go to these things. And sure enough, it worked. So it went from designing something from scratch to extrapolating that thing into something that I need into, well, you need it a specific way. And I've learned my limit. So let me teach you how to be able to do that way. And I thought that that was a great example of how you can use this thing to take care of a lot of those bigger tasks that may not necessarily require a deep amount of thinking per se, but it can block and tackle so much, right? I turned around and said, I was like, well, I kind of want to make a website for somebody to do this, and I need that website to interact with this other website through these things called APIs, right? It's like a little piece of code Mm -hmm. that's kind of like a door into another website. And that's about the extent of what some people would want to know about what this thing is. But I said, can you make a website to kind of do that thing? I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And it codes the entire thing with these keys to these doors to get into these things, things that you would go to school for, things that you would have to go get degrees for. Now it's largely doing that for you automatically. That's usually where things get scary, but the possibilities start opening up because it does democratize a lot of different things. But it was a great example of seeing how it can kind of create something in abstract with enough form for you to be able to go, okay, yeah, go left here. Oh, yeah, refine that, change that. And you're not necessarily so much losing your fingerprint on it, but you're more steering it. And I think that that is probably where we're going to be going with a lot of this stuff when it deals with AI. I think we've hit both ends of the spectrum here. We've gone from chicken noodle soup to build me a fairly complex coding for this website. How do we think people are actually using it now? Do we think it's mostly, hey, give me five recipes I can make in under an hour for dinner this evening? Or are people more using it for that heavy lifting, like the shots for for a film maybe, or code for a website? How is it actually being utilized? I think it's more on the – I think that the the use of the AI – the parlor trick versions of it mm-hmm. get done very quickly. Sure. Right. But I think that 
in some spaces, what we miss is the ability to be able to teach people about the possibility of it, right? So academics, mm -hmm. professionals, and things like that would, would know, and they would be doing the higher order, for the lack of a better word, um, creating personality profiles or creating uh, marketing personas for things, and it can do all of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of that more complex work that's being done on the AI side, but there's this push to get to that space, and there's a little bit of a chasm, I think, that right now you have people that still sit on the parlor side, and you have people that's, that are already entrenched on the development side, but I think that we can bring more people into the into the space if we're able to accurately translate, all right, well, forget about it as a parlor trick. Forget about it as a thing that's going to come and take your job. Forget about it, you know, replacing you, the rise of the robots, mm -hmm. right? And everybody says, and just look at this as a tool, right? Look at this as the new calculator. You know, something that goes kind of goes hand in hand with chat GPT, uh, and that's Dolly, which is mm -hmm. really this... Uh, Image generator, is that a fair way to categorize yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's a smart baby. Mm -hmm. Again. Instead of doing the chicken noodle soup, they said, we're going to teach you how to paint. Right. And we're going to teach you how to make an apple. And we're going to teach you how to make a brick wall. And then I need you to learn how to be able to do everything. Right? So it goes, okay, got it. Well, what do you mean it? Oh, art. This art thing, I got it. Kind of. I got it. Right? So it can do from Monet to graffiti. It knows how to be able to do it all. Right, and it's one flavor, mm -hmm. right? So OpenAI has their brain that they've designed on images called Dali, right? And it's a synthesis of the painter Salvador Dali and Wally from Pixar. That's where the whole name came from. So they've made this brain to be able to do that. There's another company called Midjourney, and Midjourney I think is just as cool. Because not only are they using the AI, but they have also started playing with a different way to interact with the AI instead of building software. So they're doing something like on Discord, which I think is crazy, kind of cool. We could talk about this for days, believe me. And then now Adobe came out with something called Firefly. So there's all these different brains where you turn around and you say, listen, uh, I need you to make a picture of a cat eating a hamburger sitting at a diner in the style of Edward Hopper. And it would know cat, diner, burger, Edward Hopper, and it can put together a pretty good representation of that. You know, in mid-journey, it can create several iterations of that. And you can kind of say, all right, well, maybe a little bit more of this, a little less of this, and it's just painting that for you. And I think that that's created a giant uproar in the world of images. Mm -hmm. Is that is that mostly copyright-based? Is it copyright-based? Is it the idea of derivative versus transformative? What it, when and, you say the uproar, what do you mean? Well, I think that what's happened with all of this is the set that's used to train these images to do stuff are largely based on stuff that's been on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And... With it being on the internet, some of it could be subject to copyright, some of it could be subject to not. And when they taught the baby, a lot of individuals would contend that this, you're not copying the image per se, you are looking at it and going, all right, well, can you replicate that? 
there are individuals who would say that teaching it based on that would be a violation of their copyright because you are basically just copying what you saw and you're making a different style of that. So there is a there's a conversation that is had because the images that it makes, it's not like taking your head and mm -hmm. my body and a burger from McDonald's. It is just drawing them all from scratch. So it has learned how to do it and it draws it. But I think that the biggest contention is, well, you learned using my stuff and my stuff should have copyright and you should not learn how to do stuff using my stuff. And I think that that's kind of where it gets in the way of a lot of that. Um, I don't, I think two days ago, if you had asked me, I said, oh yeah, I'm gonna go in this one direction. And sure enough, 24 hours later, I'm like, well, I'm gonna go in this other direction. So I don't really know how I feel about it just yet because, well, you could go to the Everson mm -hmm. right now. You could go stare at a painting and go, eh, I think I could do that. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do that painting. I'm gonna try it, and you could do it and fail and do it and fail and do it and fail, and then all of a sudden you get a, you could be pretty good. So, are you stealing? Because you saw the painting. Is that copyright? Is your ability to be able to see something? Now, are we prevented from trying to do the next Michelangelo? You know, are we pre are we prevented from having to do the next Mona Lisa because? We saw it and we looked at it and we studied it and now anybody who tries to do Monet can't do Monet anymore because we learned how to do it. It's just that this thing learns how to do it a lot faster than we do. So so I don't know, right? I, I would argue that some of the stuff that's being done there because of the prompt, what you were asking, right? Burger, Cat, Edward Hopper, Diner, there are so many different things where you have your fingerprint on it that it is drawing something, but it is not necessarily copying something. So that's where all of this, all of these conversations and AI and image generation start getting into all of these different gray areas and, and really taxes a lot of the stuff that we talk about with ethics and, and, and copyright. And Adobe's done something that was really cool in that the development of their Firefly, AI Firefly, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we teach our baby on approved stuff. Only stuff that we know that we have the rights to be able to teach it, which sounds great on the surface. Sure. And then they said, all right, well, even better, we're going to make it so that people could actually make money on this because I have, as a photographer, I'm also a photographer, I have a specific style of how I do stuff, hyper-realistic and mm -hmm. color in this. Well, I could take my images then and feed it to the AI and say, well, if you'd like RC in a can, you can buy RC in a can and you can do that. Well, so how is that now? Like, how is that cool? Is it great that I could just sell my style in that space? I don't know, right? So it's like the more you start thinking about it, the more you're like, the more it poses questions about stuff. One of the things that I was thinking about, here's a perfect one, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I don't really know where they are yet or right now for this. But 
when I was using a program like Midjourney, I turned around and I said, uh, I need you to create a female Rosie the Riveter. Oh, no, the, the, the actual, the prompt was, I, I want you to create a female soldier. And I was like, okay. All of the soldiers that came back were white. Hmm. And now I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right. And then I was like, well, how, you know what? I'm going to create a diverse female soldier. And then all of the soldiers that came back were black. So does diverse now, is diverse now code for black female soldiers? Is it, how do I get a Latino? How do I get Asian? How do I get other representative things? So what if the data sets that we're using that are approved, well, approved according to whom? What does that approval look like? How much representation is there in this set that you've approved? So it's like the more you pick at it, like there's all of these other different conversations that are inside of it that are really fascinating if you had 27 hours a day, eight days a week to do this stuff. You know, as we talk about all the different avenues for things like this, it just feels like we're in for almost like an AI arms race in a sense where oh, absolutely. everyone is just gunning. I mean, when, when, you, when you say that someone like Adobe is jumping out and getting into this, I got an email from Google not that long ago. It said, hey, check out this beta program. We're trying to get into the AI game. It just seems like when you have, you know, maybe some relatively unknowns mainstream with ChatGPT, and then you've also got, you know, mainstays like Adobe and Google who are getting in the game, it just feels like we're poised for this arms race of who can get there first and who can be best. Yeah. And who can do it in specific instances? Well, like 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 if we were to step back, right, and take a look at this and we said, All right, well, that one over there, they taught their baby how to paint. These people over here taught their baby how to talk. Um, who's going to teach their baby how to make music? Right. You so, want you want you want to talk about a copyright problem? Oh, that's coming there. It's already it's already coming. Right. So Google has a service called Music LM. It's a research paper right now, still using AI models, and they trained it on this giant musical data set. And now you can just write, "I would like an upbeat rap." in this style, with a female vocal, with this, that does this, and it's for a high school play. I think that, that was like one of their mm -hmm. things that they showed. And it did it really well. Now, it doesn't know how to do English, so the female rap line sounded like gibberish, right? Because sure. it doesn't really know how to model English. Mm -hmm. But if you could do that, then since it's all ones and zeros, really, how long is it before we says, well, can you take that thing that you did and just give me the vocal line by itself? Let me just hear the melody. Da -da 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 okay, I got it. Got it, got it, got it. And now, give me all of the other stuff separately. Okay. Well, that da 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 you know what? Let's send that to JatGPT. Let's see what it does. And you come back with lyrics. And now it's just, now you're putting these two things together. So now people are using these technologies to be able to go, all right, well, what can we use? Now it's not specific to chat or specific to this. Is now how can we train these brains? How can we make these brains to do something? 
Here's a perfect example. We were talking about photography and AI and pictures and all that stuff, and they're like, oh my God, it's coming for us, and we're going to do all these kinds of things. And I'm like, well, forget about that. What about law? I was like, law as it pertains to copyright. If this brain can learn how to chat and this brain can learn how to be able to do law, I mean, this brain can chat and this brain can do photos and this brain can do all of these things. What if we just took one very specific brain and fed it all of this case law that we know? We just gave it a steady diet of law and case law in the United States. Think about how many TV shows we see about, oh, well, we found this because of some obscure law in this one situation. Somebody was fumbling through something and they remembered something. And that transformed the case or transformed law or became a new argument for the presentation of something, something. It's like, well, if you created an AI that all you fed it was law and then you fed it a specific case, you could have it go back and do all of that mining for you and create all of these different connections that you could sit back and go, huh, yeah, okay, I, I'm going to go down that avenue a little bit more. Or differential diagnosis in medicine, right? You feed it just a diet of cases and symptoms and things and then ask it questions. Policy procedures for the DOD. You can feed it a steady diet of that and ask it the questions and have it do the digging and the connecting for you. So the arms race is vertical in that there's people that are going to be like, all right, well, let's make Mid-Journey and mm -hmm. let's make Dolly and Firefly and Unsplasho or whatever it is that somebody's going to come up with. But it's also horizontal in that people are like, well, how do I apply that to science or biology or journalism or teaching very specific brains to be able to do stuff? So that race is going in every single dimension, which makes it incredibly interesting, but incredibly sleep depriving. The last thing I want to ask you is kind of going back to something you said before, where you, you said how is important with chat GPT because it's giving a voice to the voiceless. How important is it for tools like this to be accessible then? Most, I guess what I'm thinking about this is right now, chat GPT is free. People mm -hmm. can go and use that. Dolly, I believe, gives you so many free options. I believe it's 15. And then they're, you know, that resets about every month or so, I believe. How important is it that as these tools become more adopted that they're accessible to everyone? I think that it's incredibly important for the individuals that are creating this that they keep an eye on equity and diversity and accessibility for this kind of stuff. Because if it doesn't, you will just have that kind of entrenchment where it's their tool and not our tool or a tool that can be accessed by everybody. Um, so I think that if I were advising, I would advise on how to be able to, you know, make sure that everybody can have a hand in that, right? Make sure that everybody can have access to that and understand, make sure that there are people out there, evangelists that are out there to talk about its possibility to do stuff, right? One of the things that I've been working on recently, right? Like I work with, you said Jason Davis and all those people, and I work with uh, trying to help teach these things to detect misinformation, which I think is great. But I also work on this research side of like what's coming next, what's coming down the pike. But if I were honest, like the thing that I'm the most interested about is going back 
as I was a middle school teacher a long time ago. And I keep thinking about the communities that look like mine, right? When I grew up in the South Bronx, right? I think about the communities here in Syracuse. And I turn around and I'm like, well, the fact of the matter is there's a lot of places around here that would love to be able to teach Monet. They don't have paintbrushes. I didn't have a paintbrush. Like we looked at Monet. We didn't try it. How do we tackle that problem, right? And one of the things that I've been thinking of, and I can't get out of my head, is how can I use AI? And if I can draw a picture of a cat eating a burger in the style of a hopper, could I teach individuals to be able to make a picture of their interpretation of Harriet Tubman in the Underground Railroad? Could I teach them how to be able to make a poem of a Toni Morrison style about their experience growing up in the South Bronx, growing up in Syracuse, growing up in the communities that look like ours? And could I have them synthesize and dig and go, well, is that Toni Morrison? No, let me learn a little bit more about Toni Morrison. Let me learn about what makes it this. Could I then create a rap that uses beloved in a specific way? And then could I make pictures on that? And that gives a voice. Like that is now using technology for individuals that may not have access to the canvas or access to the musical instrument or access to these kinds of things to let them express themselves, to get the idea out. And once you get that idea out, inspiration follows after that. Like once you know how to do that, like you're like, all right, got it. I want to do more of this. I want to be able to create. I want to do things. So I'm trying to make curriculum that's based on either middle school or high school curriculum using AI technologies to be able to reimagine things like this, be able to reimagine things like history or black history because I think that it's important. It's important to have ideas in the game and make sure that we don't leave anybody out. Very good. RC, thanks so much for your time and for helping us better understand ChatGPT in the ever-developing world of AI. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between WAER and the Newhouse School at Syracuse University. Our associate producer is Emma Hudson. And a special thanks to Dr. Regina Luttrell, Associate Dean of Research and Creative Activity. Find more from the department at newhouse.syr.edu research. You can find more about this podcast at waer.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. I'm Kevin Kloss. Thanks for listening.